day five of the 2022 World Cup and we've seen big wins for England and Spain, big shots for Argentina and Germany and plenty more. I'm Dan Burke, this is the One Football Podcast and I'm joined by Matt Froelich. Good afternoon. And Daniel Cadena-Jordan. Hello, hello. How are we doing, Matt? You're... Uh, Regular viewers uh, might notice you're, uh, you've got a, a different backdrop to usual there. You're in a, you're in a hotel room in Amsterdam, are you? I, I am, but they wouldn't be able to tell from this hotel, from this backdrop. I feel <laughs> like I'm in a bit of a gamer chair, like I'm ready to kick you both at Fortnite. Or, or the Big Brother Diary room, I was thinking. <laughs> it looks a bit like, yeah. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Dear 99, Matt has come to the diary room. <laughs> Someone stole my digestive biscuits and I'm having none of it. <laughs> Uh, yes, no, we are. We are on the road. So if anyone's got the One Football app, which you should all do by now, um, yeah, make sure to check it out because we're creating all sorts of content going around and about. And yeah, I've just arrived in Amsterdam. Going to mingle with some Dutch fans uh, ahead of tomorrow's game versus Ecuador. Which nice, promising. Hopefully, be more exciting than. And their you, first you were game. in you were in Dusseldorf yesterday, hanging out with some Japanese fans. Oh it? my word, it went crazy. <laughs> I, I was thinking, like, oh, we'll get some cool content. Some Japanese fans, they're all really welcoming. And we got there, and I see Germany scored, and I was like, oh no, it's going to be a bit depressing. And then suddenly, second half, they came they came into life. So did the fans, and it was absolute mayhem at the end. <laughs> it was brilliant. It was really good. And yeah, we were in London over the weekend as well for the England game. So lots of fun. It's been lots of fun. Yeah, lots of fun. Travelling. Lots of cool. How about you, Danny? You haven't done any travelling, but you are uh, in Berlin like me. Uh, But have you uh, enjoyed the World Cup so far? Uh, I mean, it's been interesting for sure. A couple shocks here. Uh, Was not expecting, you know, England to start with a 6-2 to be perfectly frank, but we'll get into that later. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, it's been, for for football-wise, it's been a very interesting one. And uh, non-football-wise, I guess, too. Like, it's a very odd one, isn't it? The fact you mentioned that, does that mean that's a bigger shock than Saudi Arabia beating Argentina? The fact that England had a good start. <laughs> England won. Forget England Saudi Arabia, won, guys. this is the real shock. If you knew your football, you'd know Saudi Arabia's number 10 is kosher. So, uh, yeah, no. But, uh, <laughs> no, uh, I just mentioned that because, I don't know, well, I'm talking to two Englishmen, so what else am I going to start with? You don't start with Argentina, you start with the home country. Oh god, true. And you and you are Venezuelan, and your boys aren't at the World Cup. So oh, well, we're repping, though. Team? We're repping. Have you adopted a team for the World Cup? Uh, I always, you, I, I mean, I usually root for Germany, but to make it a bit more interesting, Uruguay is kind of like my dark knight in mm. this uh, mm. this little uh, yeah. World Cup of ours. I don't know. I have a feeling yeah. Darwin's going to pull it, pull a trick out of the hat somehow. Yeah. So there's been a lot of um, footage going around on social media today of people deep frying turkeys. Have you seen this with Thanksgiving coming up and like say why why you shouldn't deep fry turkeys because they can basically burst into a ball of flames and someone yeah, yeah. it's like it's like Darwin Nunez entering the World Cup. That's what he's going to do as well. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of the thing. I mean, happy Thanksgiving to everybody, by the way. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I don't know. Common sense. Just don't deep fry frozen things. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, but, uh, that would be uh, my advice too. That's so yeah, funny. Just cook it. Just cook <laughs> it. Or, you know, defrost it first. No, not that complicated. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Right, let's get stuck into the World Cup then. Uh, before we do, uh, we haven't had any emails this week, which is a bit disappointing. So uh, please put that right before our next episode. The email address is podcast at onefootball.com. We're, uh, you know, accepting questions on any uh, thing to do with the World Cup or anything to do with the world of football in general, uh, if you must. Um, let's uh, before we get into the, the sort of nitty gritty of the action, I just wanted to ask you both about the um, 
a few things sort of off field uh, about the World Cup. The first is this: uh, the One Love armbands that uh, what was it? Seven nations said they were going to wear uh, mm. in solidarity with the LGBTQI plus community, and uh, well, basically they all they all chickened out on the uh, the eve of the tournament. I think it's fair to say, didn't they? When they when they heard that FIFA had told them that their players would be getting a yellow card. What did you make of that, Matt? Was that a disappointing climb down, do you think, or was it too understandable or to be expected? Um, yeah, it was a little bit disappointing from what they originally said they were going to do, but I thought there was other sort of strong ways of, of doing it, right? I mean, yeah, okay, they didn't want to risk a yellow card for... Normally, for most teams, the captain is a rather important player as well. Mm. Um, no disrespect to like any of the lesser players, but you know, like you're picturing England with Kane, Gareth Bale at Wales or whoever. Um, but I thought there's plenty of other ways that they could still do this representation. I think definitely with the coach on the side of the pitch or or even all of the coaches or doing something before the game like we saw with Germany. It's such a shame that just because they didn't wear the armband, it seems like most things also went out the window as well. Um, and obviously it just seemed very... It was disappointing that it was all last minute. I read somewhere that I think it was Denmark had written to FIFA about it sort of months yes. ago. Mm months ago and they got a reply the day before their game and you just think it was that seems a bit too sort of intentional from FIFA's end for mm. me to oh, be Oh, it got lost in the post. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's a real shame that it didn't happen, but then also that it was such a big step down to basically nothing happening or, uh, you know, a symbol from Germany, for example, which I thought was very similar to... Because the, the, the armbands still say no discrimination on them, if I'm mm. not mistaken. Yeah. yeah, And that sort of... What Germany were doing was also very much like, okay, yeah, you know, we're not allowed to speak about these things. Um, but I think a stronger stand could have been made. And it's nice to, you know, see a, a few uh, dignitaries up in the stands and on TV also wearing the armband as well. Mm. But yeah, it's a big shame that a big step down was made. Yeah. What do you think, Danny, of, of Germany's uh, response, them covering the mouths in the team photo? Was that a... Uh, and the statement that followed with it on, on social media, was that a, an acceptable compromise, would you say? Or? I don't think it's a compromise. It's more of like, I mean, I'll give them credit for at least trying to do something outside of the box and mm. just, you know, pointing out that it's not just we're protesting what, you know, we all know what they're protesting. It's also now this extra layer of censorship that's come into the mix that I think really did drive home the message a little bit. And I mean, you did see the thing, you know, go viral everywhere, basically. So it did. Mm. there was some sort of expectation of something happening there. There was this also rumor that Neuer was going to be the only one while wearing the One Love um, uh, armband uh, from the seven countries, but that turned out to be like a fake news thing. Uh, but I don't know. I think it's, it is an interesting point, and it is kind of a shame, like Matt was saying, that you know it did kind of like you know dwindle down to basically nothing. But at the same mm. time, FIFA also started complaining about ridiculous stuff, like you know the, the fact that Belgians... Uh, national shirt says uh, love, oh, yeah. or that it's too, <laughs> yeah. or the training one was too was too colorful to train or whatever. Like I don't know that it just sounded like they were just becoming like a character of himself. FIFA, I mean, mm. um, but uh, but yeah, I mean it's it's a noble cause. It was the right thing. It's a shame that no one else had maybe like the vision to do something a bit bigger or like I was saying, you know, coaches wearing the armband or I don't know something else. Uh, so it's kind of like a letdown. It does feel like okay, all this you know bickering over nothing in the end, isn't it? So, yeah. And, and even confiscating rainbow hats from fans oh. and things like that. Oh, no, I like, don't understand what FIFA and Qatar are doing here. Like, what do they think that looks like? It's the one. You know, the one that really made me laugh a bit was um, Brazil has this region called Pernambuco uh, that have a flag that has a rainbow in it. 
So apparently a journalist had his Pernambuco flag. He wanted to like wave in the stadium and everything. And it got confiscated. <laughs> so you can't be from Pernambuco and have your flag in the stadium, guys. It's coming to that at this point. So yeah. it's, it's that. What, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Like it's, it's what, silly. What are they going to do with it? Like they obviously don't like the rainbow flag. So what are they going to do when they've got like 10,000 bucket hats just sat in the room? <laughs> they, they obviously don't want them. You're confiscating something you don't even want. Mass bonfire or something. Yeah, probably, yeah, really probably. Really That'll teach him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jeez. Dis- disgraceful. Yeah, yeah. I, I was talking to my girlfriend about, about the Germany thing yesterday and she was saying, like, it's not enough. And, um, you know, basically, if, if players felt that strongly about it, they should have boycotted the World Cup and refused to play. And I was like, eh, I sort of see what you're saying, but I don't really think it's fair to um, expect players to have to do that. You know, it's a World Cup. You know, yeah. players don't get a chance to play in the World Cup, doesn't come along every day a chance to win the world cup certainly doesn't come along every day um it's a big blow to a player's career to not play at a world cup i think it's wrong to kind of target the players personally and a little bit unfair but mm. i can i can see all all points of it but it's down to the fa's of each country not necessarily yeah, the yeah. players you know That's they true. Can, they pull the strings on this they should want be the ones making the stand in the first place yeah exactly. 100%. yeah 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 and we've seen some other quite strange happenings around the world cup uh Lots of added time. Uh, I think every game has been at least a hundred minutes long so far, hasn't it? Uh, it gets to the point where if you if only six minutes added time added on, you're like, oh, is that it? That's uh, that's quite a quick one. Uh, what, what do we think of the way that the um, they've been allowing extra time for stoppages at this World Cup? I mean, it's something that a lot of people have been hankering for for a while, really. Uh, it seems to me that FIFA are making a point. They're making a statement of this is so ridiculous. Right with six, seven, eight minutes at the end. Why don't we introduce? You know, aren't they? Don't they want to introduce this stop clock mm. when the ball goes out of play? They stop it, so you get forty-five minutes of action or thirty minutes of action if they want to reduce the half size. So it seems like they're kind of hammering home the point of trying to enforce their own rule changes that they want to see yeah. in the game. Um, they're also apparently being a lot stricter with the time the ball is out of play. I thought as well. This would be very typical of like the marketing team to try and make this World Cup known for something. <laughs> Every World Cup's got a thing, whether it's like Vuvuzelas or whatever it is. Like, oh yeah, that's that funny World Cup about lots the of the Javulani ball. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Every Every World Cup's got a thing, and they don't want theirs to be remembered for migrants being killed whilst building stadiums. Mm, so yeah, they've yeah. thought, you know, this is. If someone in 10 years tweets, man, there was so much extra time, it felt like the Qatar World Cup. They'll be like, yes, <laughs> yes, we, our job is done. <laughs> like, they want to go down in history as that random World Cup that had lots of extra time. It's a marketing ploy. Indeed, yeah. It's all yeah. conspiracy from the marketing team, imagine yeah. that. Yeah. I need to get off the internet. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. Just stop going to Reddit, man. That's all I have to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And on a practical level, I do, you know, anything that kind of cuts down on teams' time-wasting, I think, is a good idea. Mm. I think teams are going to be less, less, uh, you know, prone to time-wasting if they think, well, there's going to be 10 minutes added on at the end of this game. We better better get a shuffle on here. So, yeah, yeah maybe it'll be a good thing, maybe a good <laughs> yeah, little development for the game. Adding, like, 12 minutes extra because a dude was on the floor because his, his knee hurt, that seems like a bit too much. Come on. It's, <laughs> It's, I don't know, like, games don't have to be 120 minutes long. Like, especially the first game of a seven-game tournament that yeah. lasts four weeks. Uh, squeeze in the middle of a season. Like, that's the that's mm-hmm. what scares me about this. Like, you really are pushing the envelope on what you're expecting from football players mm-hmm. at this point. 
Yeah. Imagine how long some of the uh, matches are going to be in the knockout stage when we've got extra time as well on penalties. That'll be gorgeous. Going to need about four hours to fit a game right. into yeah, it. You'll have to stop and play about baseball, guys. That's the thing about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Well, the World Cup did kick off on Sunday with Ecuador's 2-0 victory over Qatar. Uh, I love the, the sort of false start that this World Cup got off to when they did that big countdown in the stadium. And then the referee blew the whistle. And the, te- the teams kicked off before the countdown had even finished. It was like three and they kicked off. Yeah, I don't have time for this. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that, 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 that's about right. That seems like this World Cup in a nutshell, really. Oh, God. Well, it did take him like three games to get it right, didn't it? Like, because the second yeah, game also, yeah. the countdown, like four game was already halfway through. Like... <laughs> Yeah, but by New Year's Eve they should have it nailed down, shouldn't they? Really? Yeah, but. God, you would think that by 2026, you know, this wouldn't be an issue yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah, and there was a, a pretty horrendous performance from Qatar. I think we can say I was uh, quite shocked at how how poor they were. I think a lot of people were, well, not a lot of people, but a few people tipped them as potential dark horses for the tournament. Said, you know, don't sleep on Qatar. They've got a few decent players. They were the uh, Asian champions a few years ago, but they were pretty shit, weren't they, Matt? I think it's fair yeah. To say. I was expecting them to be really poor, but this was like, holy crap, you've you've exceeded our expectations of how poor you've been. Yeah. Um, really looked like there was nothing up for there. That one brilliant chance just before half time, um, the guy was about four yards out and seemed to head it wide. Oh yeah. The, the, the weird thing is, I don't think Qatar will ever feel the full wrath of a nation because there's no need to. Like Ecuador could have gone 110% and tried to go three, four, five, six, seven and humiliate them, but there's no point. Right. You know, I think we'll see we'll see this for teams who play Qatar. They got Senegal and Netherlands. If those two teams can go in the break one, two, three, no up, take a few players off. It's a busy yeah. schedule in the World Cup. Get yourself ready for the knockout rounds. I think basically most other teams will spare Qatar a second half and say that you aren't going to score. We don't need to score, so let's just sort of have a passive 45, which is what I felt the second half was. Um, yeah, so like a we, training session, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> we, we, won't, we won't see any team unless they just feel like taking their anger out on Qatar. We won't see any team go hell for leather for 90, 100, 150 minutes um, and end up winning 7 or 8 nil because I think that's realistically what it could be if a team played for the full game because they just look so, so poor. I thought... I thought they looked off the pace physically, mm. looked slower. It was just... It's not even that. I think it's just like they don't have the level for it. Like yeah. you were saying, like, yeah, they... Ecuador, hardly the, the strongest of the South American teams. They're playing half-assed, like 50% yeah. speed, <laughs> barely passing the ball, barely giving, you know, anything or trying. Yeah. Uh, and Qatar was still struggling to find, like, an idea, a concept of what to do with the yeah. ball. Not even actually execute it. But they got the ball. The guy would get nervous. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. And, and then just fumble it basically just throw a pass wherever it could and that was it um yeah it was poor i don't know i think it's arguably you could say one of the worst teams you've seen in the world cup in a while like <laughs> i've been thinking of like who could have been worse and i could just go back to what like el salvador in 1982 or 86 whenever it was they lost 10 <laughs> well but panama were pretty crap last time out to be yeah but, but at least they had yeah. heart you know they went out and played and yeah. just went you know dothraki on you or something like that but you know <laughs> <laughs> these guys just they're just standing there idly, just waiting for the 90 minutes to go by, and they're still losing to nil. Um, but I did see them in Copa America 2019. They were they were invited to that edition oh, yeah. of it. They just came off as Asia, uh, Asia's championship, and everything was like, oh, you know, this big guest, next World Cup host, and everything. Never mind the dodgy business of things, but hey, here we are. Um, 
And they just managed to draw against the worst Paraguay I've seen in decades. So you kind of they draw, drew 1-1, then lost 3-0 in 4-1 or something like that. Mm. It was, you know, tail is old as time. Qatar yeah. is not good at football. We just know that we just knew that right from the bat, didn't we? Yeah. Not until Pep Guardiola takes over as coach are they gonna get good arms. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's <laughs> the Qatari <laughs> Phil Foden suddenly shows up. <laughs> Shit. Oh, it's yeah. not good. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, Valencia did the job, got the job done. Um, nice header from Anna Valencia. Do you think he can he can lead them to good things, Danny? Um, is is his knee okay? It looks pretty brutal looking knee injury that he got in that game. Yeah, I don't know. It's still, I'm not sure he's going to make it to the next game, is he? Like, um, he should, I think, but not necessarily. Still haven't confirmed it, Ecuador. Um, I think Ecuador have an interesting team. Problem is that they're not nearly quick enough to stop Senegal and not talented enough to face the Netherlands. I find. So I think they're of all the teams that could have been accessible to Ecuador, they were stuck with a relatively stiff competition here. Um, and if Valencia is not available, I think they're going to be in deep trouble. Also, having said that, this was meant to be sort of like a transition World Cup for them. Um, the under 33 is kind of like matured enough to become the main team now, the the the, the, the senior team, let's call it that. Uh, and um, they're kind of had a schedule there. So they're not really that concerned of having an interesting or a good World Cup. The aim was always 2026. They just happened to qualify for this one because, let's be frank, the level in South America has been dreadful this past cycle. Like, other than Argentina and Brazil, even, you know, Uruguay have, you know, shown that they don't have that, you know, new generation of players necessary to keep the level in South America high. Chile didn't make it for the same reason. Peru were starting to stagnate. And Colombia, like, I don't know, it's just... You could tell that Ecuador kind of got there because the bar was relatively low in, in Comeol this mm. time around. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Senegal weren't exactly uh, brilliant in their game either, so yeah, they true. might have a, a chance of getting out of the group, but then uh, we'll see see where it goes. On Monday, England kicked off their tournament with a 6-2 win over Iran, as we mentioned. Um, a nice little scoreline for England. Uh, perhaps not a totally surprising result, but what do you reckon, Matt? Is this a sign that football is coming home, or was it only Iran? Um, people are saying. Yeah, how offensive to Iran. Yeah. Uh, I actually, to be honest, I thought Iran would put up a little bit more of a fight. I guess obviously losing a keeper early on is not ideal. Um, I didn't expect England to score six, but it does, it, it simultaneously makes Southgate look very foolish and an absolute genius. <laughs> because now that he's put an extra attack midfielder on, I thought Mason Mount was really, really good at mm. receiving the ball and definitely kind of a good pinpoint for attack before you get to Kane. Um, it was kind of like, yeah, I'm a genius for making this switch. And everyone else is like, yeah, but you should have been doing this four years yeah. ago, mate. We've been I, telling I, you this yeah, for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So he's, he's arrived late to the party, but he's bought a lot of beer. So you're like, oh, fine. Yeah, fair enough. Um, <laughs> you can come in. Uh, yeah, it was a really good game. I was surprised how many of the scored in the first half, but I thought it was crying out for everything that we know an England side can be. Everything from the way they play out of the back uh, the way that Trippier is really in good form, the way that Bellingham can get forward and score, the movement in the front three behind Kane, who was, you know, brilliant doing what he does week in, week out for Spurs. The assist for Sterling was phenomenal. It was such it was such a performance that shouldn't have been a shock, but it was because of what we've watched for the last few years. Like a, a, a well-structured attacking performance from England scoring a lot of goals should, with their quality, be something quite normal. It shouldn't be as impressive as it was. Mm. But, you know, after watching a, a back eight or whatever we've watched for the past <laughs> few years, it yeah. actually seems relatively new and progressive. Um, having said that, yeah, I thought Iran were quite poor. Um, I would expect them to do better against the US and Wales, but I would expect England 
as I've said, I think they're good enough to win the group to really mm. finish strongly in the group, definitely. Yeah, yeah. You see, by the way, that pass uh, for Kane to Sterling for the goal was the only time that he passed to him in the whole game and it was the assist for the goal. Really? Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn, there you go. One and done. Uh, indeed, so that's all you need. Efficiency. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very yeah. Saudi of him, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> all it takes is one. Yeah. Uh, England is absolutely in love with Jude Bellingham at the moment, Danny. Um, as a regular viewer of the Bundesliga, I'm sure you won't be surprised by his quality, but I think a lot of people in England are perhaps getting a proper look at him for the first time now and, and really seeing what a good player he is. How good do you think he is and how good do you think he can be? Because he's still only a very, very young man. Yeah, he still can drink in the US if that's a question. So that gives yeah. you an idea. Um, I mean, he's arguably one... One of the best, if not the best, you know, like creative midfielders in the Bundesliga by far. Like him and Musiala maybe are the two most talented players in the league right now. Uh, and to see him play the way he plays with Dortmund that are considerably a worse side than the England side, I would say. Um, the fact that he has, let's put it the other way around, better national teammates than he does club mates um, does help a lot to bring out that about him. Uh, his move to the Premier has always been touted for the past year or so already. So that's kind of like... The World Cup is a really good stage to like kind of confirm that he's gonna. Well, at least he's gonna come home. I don't know about the title, but at least he's gonna go back to to England anytime any sooner than later. Um, and yeah, I mean, he had a fantastic game. Like he's proven every single thing he's done right at, at Dortmund. That Dortmund was the right step in his career, moving from Birmingham over there. Um, and what surprises me the most about him is how nonchalant he is about this whole thing. Like he does seem like he's just naturally good at this, and there's nothing. Like he's not doing 110. Like he's playing what he usually plays at, and he's. I mean, it was, an, it was Iran. Let's see against a bigger team how he performs. But he does seem very, very okay with the level of football he has. It's not like he's pulling in the extra, you know, extra gear kind of thing. So mm. it's interesting to see that that is kind of like going on and that speaks volumes of where the potential of him playing for a bigger club or in a final instance of the World Cup uh, could imply for England. Like, I think it's, it's very interesting. I think it's definitely one of the players to watch this World Cup was before the tournament started. Uh, but I think now more than ever, like he's proven his chops to like not only be in the starting eleven, but to just be untouchable in the starting eleven. Yeah, it's got just a level of sort of maturity to his play mm. that you don't yes. see with players of his age. It's really impressive. Did you see that about why he wears number twenty-two for England and for Dortmund as well? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, no, I think I saw this. When, yeah. when he was younger, he wanted to be a number ten apparently, and one of his coaches said to him, "But you're a number ten, a number eight, and a number four all rolled in together, so you're a number twenty-two. <laughs> Fair That's enough. why he wears number twenty-two. Yeah, yeah." But I was thinking, what is a number four? Isn't it? Shouldn't it be a number six? Yeah, but yeah I think I old school English English was number four, right back in the day. What for, like a holding midfield? Though? Yeah, well, you just had eight and four with the oh, two central okay. yeah. players. That's yeah. true. Yeah, fair play. Yeah, fair enough. I could not tell you who was number four. It was probably David Batty, right, when Bellingham was a kid. <laughs> yeah, it could have been up four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, who else impressed you for England, Matt? I mean, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Mount, you mentioned Trippier. Uh, I'll throw a name at you, Harry Maguire. I thought he was yeah, quietly quite very good. good. Yeah. Very good, Maguire. I thought maybe, I don't know whether it's a switch in tactic or not um, that made him, or maybe the lack of shit to do, basically. <laughs> uh, again, like, you know, we're talking about attacking forces and Iran weren't great and who knows, maybe get found out against a better opposition. But yeah, he certainly looked really, really comfortable playing in a back four. I wonder maybe if the back five wasn't for him. I don't know. It's It's difficult. I think there's probably... There's there's a difference in style that's by switching to a back four and a two and a three and a one whatever which really helps Maguire. He's got Luke Shaw to pass next to him instead of Shaw being further up. 
as if he were a wing-back instead of a full-back. He'll probably find himself in a position where if Rice drops deep, he's always got someone to pass to in that role. I don't know, maybe there was just a different a different flow of the game which really helped him kind of not be uh, left in two compromising positions. But I do think it has it has a lot to do with the fact that he wasn't tested so much. Mm. Yeah. All this optimism around England, it's got nil-nil against the USA on Friday. Yeah, yeah, it now, isn't yeah. it, probably? But we'll see. Uh, the other game in Group A took place on Tuesday. That was uh, that was Netherlands to Senegal nil. Uh, a nice, nicely taken goal from Cody Gakpo in this game. Do you like what you've seen of him, Matt? I love him, and not just yeah. for Netherlands. For PSV, I think he's brilliant. He combines, he's very Cristiano Ronaldo-esque for me. In the way that, not his necessarily his style of play, but in the way that he combines different facets. You know, he was a winger as a kid at PSV. But played a little bit more central, certainly scoring a lot more goals from that winger, from that winger um, area. You know, over six foot, good in the air, very athletic, very quick, a brilliant dribbler, two-footed. He isn't sort of sticking, sticking to the bounds of just being a quick, exciting winger. Um, you know, he's playing all in the attacking areas. As I said, he's been involved, I think it's 33 goals in all competitions this season. Um, you know, to be involved in 33 goals, uh, you know, just two months <laughs> in is, is absolutely ridiculous. You saw More with, than Haaland, I think, isn't it? That? Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's the most yeah. in Europe. Yeah. Um, so you saw his header, just, yeah, that Ronaldo all-round goal scorer sort of vibe where mm. he combines so many different traits um, physically, and technically, I just think he's an absolute marvel and really he's he's got Premier League all over him for me. I don't want to hype him up yeah. too much and say he's going to come in <laughs> and be the next Ronaldo. I'm just saying in terms of what he can bring to the table, he's got absolutely everything. And for a Dutch side who really struggled for a striker in the last few years, you know, they started the game with Vincent Janssen, who I couldn't believe was even <laughs> still in contentual. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he left Mexico and came to Antwerp, I think he's at now. Yeah, yes. Um, Really, I was absolutely baffled. So that just shows you the, you know, the struggles they've got up front. So to have Gakpo in there is just, yeah, I think he's wonderful. Yeah, a nice story about the Dutch goalkeeper as well. Andries Noppert plays for Herenveen, making his international debut in this game at the age of 28. Uh, apparently, a couple of years ago, he was uh, considering quitting football because he couldn't uh, find a club, and his family were advising him to join the Dutch police force. So uh, you know, good job he didn't do that, I suppose, isn't it? <laughs> Amazing. Well, the yeah. other option was like 39-year-old Remo Pasfi or something, wasn't it? But that has like Louis van Gaal written all over it, doesn't it? Like <laughs> debuts a 28-year-old in the World Cup opener. Um, guy from Hedenbin. I mean, to be fair, the guy is, I was reading, is two meters, three centimeters tall. Like the guy's... Wow. Yeah, he's a big fella. Um, reminds me a bit of Tim Krul in that regard. Like, you know, that sort of like, you know, buff Dutch goalkeeper that van Gaal was kind of like prefers over the talented one yeah. kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I don't like... I think- maybe, maybe it would have been an asset to the Dutch police force in that case. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Robocop over there. <laughs> Yap stand with gloves, mate. Yeah, but... Um, yeah. yeah, no, but it was really cool to see that. You know, the heading bin player also. I was just checking, like, the guy apparently has six clean sheets with heading bin, which is sort of, you know, miraculous um, for a team that, you know, size in, in, in a league like the Edit of Easy that is so well known for basically just being a shit fest of goals. So it's, I don't know, pretty cool. Pretty neat to see Fang Hal yeah. doing Fang Hal things. Indeed. Yeah, Senegal's performance not particularly encouraging here. Do you think that's a, that's a lack of Sadio Mane for them, Matt? And uh, Edouard Mendy not exactly covering himself in glory for the, the two goals either, I would say? 
Yeah, I would guess so. It's always difficult when you rely on a player like Sadio Mane who isn't a striker for your goals. Because as soon as you take him out, you still don't have a striker and you're down a world-class player. So, you know, it's always going to be difficult. Like, they started with Ismail Assar and Boulay Dia up front. Mm. Um, Dia has been okay form. Um, Ismail Assar, you know, isn't an out-and-out goal scorer. So they were always going to struggle. I think you look at their AFCON performance when they won the African Cup of Nations earlier in the year. They conceded two goals in the whole competition, um, which just kind of showed you that they're banking on a strong defence, um, obviously with Koulibaly in front of Mendy and Abdou Diallo in there as well, and Cech Kriate and just a game midfield. They're banking on being strong and they can nick a goal or two here and there, maybe the odd penalty. Um, but yeah, when you when Mane's out and the defence effectively fails, uh, that's got nightmare written all over it for them. Yep, indeed. Uh, we also saw Wales back at the World Cup later on uh, Monday. They drew uh, 1-1 with USA in their first uh, what was it? Fifty-eight years they were away from the World Cup Wales. It was the longest, I think. Sixty-four, so, maybe it was nineteen fifty-eight. Ah, that's right, nineteen fifty-eight. Yeah, yeah, correct, yeah, correct, yeah. correct, correct, correct. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about USA first, actually, because I thought they were quite good. Actually, Danny, I was quite impressed by them. Did, were you impressed by them? And uh, did you uh, like what you saw from Tim Weir in particular? Yeah, I mean, Tim Weir, scorer, brilliant. I mean, that that goal was a really nice chip at the end. It was it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But the team, what I did like about the US was it does. You do feel like they do think like a block. They do work as a, as a really good cohesive unit. Um, the one thing that really did annoy me was, and it distracted me from actually enjoying the U.S. game, was every single time you would look towards, the, towards one of the ends of the pitches, you would see Christian Pulisic complaining about something. It's like, just <laughs> focus on the game. Do your goddamn job. and You're going to be fine, dude. Like, it's going to be fine. And I think that was sort of like the takeaway from that, that they do seem to have this need to... I wouldn't say rely on Pulisic, but there's definitely still like a dependence on that. Whereas you still have players like Giovanni Reina, who's still 100, not, not 100% recovered from, from everything, or in shape at least. Um, he would have been a really good asset to see in the starting 11. Um, but having said all that, I think Wea just adds an extra level of speed that England, uh, the U.S. really need to, you know, make the most of, kind of. Uh, Pulisic mm-hmm. tends to like cut in or, 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 you know, drive the ball inwards, whereas Wea doesn't mind going a bit wider and then cutting drive in. That seemed to be working a bit better. And I don't know. They do have a squad that maybe not this World Cup, but next World Cup when they're going to be hosting it, I think is going to be a really, really good team to watch, to be quite honest. Uh, it's There's a lot of potential. There are a lot of new names, a lot of players from from the domestic league that are doing an impression. The goalkeeper was pretty good, I found. Like, I think uh, he had a really solid 90 minutes. Um, but, yeah, overall, I think the U.S. is a decent contender to give you guys a bit of trouble on, on, on the next match day. Yeah. Yeah, Joel was saying he watched their game in a in a bar here in Berlin with uh, quite a lot of Americans in there, and they were singing "Soccer's Coming Home." So, uh, <laughs> but how how is it going to go home if home is not where it's called soccer? That's the that's the question. It's a it's, yeah, it's a thing that really makes sense. It's a head scratcher more than anything. I, I saw another clip of some Americans singing "It's called soccer." It's called soccer, and I was like, "Wow!" Well, I hate to break it to you, fellas, but uh, yeah. No. <laughs> Full, full marks for uh, for banter, though. That's what, I mean. That's that's sort of like me coming here and saying, "Oh, you're not Dan. You're Sergio. That's your new name. Ah, you're Sergio. <laughs> Just call you Sergio because you know for kicks and shits and giggles and all that. Doesn't work that way, does it? You can call me Sergio if you want, mate. Oh, that's, I mean, I, I know you would have a problem with it, but <laughs> the people that know you as Dan are going to be saying, "Yeah, but isn't he Dan instead? Not really Sergio." So you know, people can call it soccer if they want to, but it is football. The sport formerly known as football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> uh, Matt, you were you were talking about uh, Kiefer Moore in our World Cup preview podcast last week, and what a, what an asset he could be to Wales. I think he really changed the game in the second half for them, didn't he? Yeah, massively. It, it, I was watching it and thinking, God, this is making football look really simple. Like in the first half, <laughs> Wales were smacking it forward and the ball wasn't sticking, and all they did was put on a big guy and it worked. And it was like that, that's too simple for it to be working at an international level, but it did. Kiefer Moore is a big guy. He held up the ball. He made some really intelligent runs. He really brought everyone else into play. Um, and it just, when I looked at that Wales squad, they were set up for a quick counter, obviously, with Dan James and Gareth Bale up front. And it kind of felt like you're pushing two wingers into a central position where you need a striker, you need a focal point. And Kiefer Moore was absolutely brilliant at it. And I thought, you know, really, He'd give a lot of teams a hard time in the, in the rest of the group stage and beyond, you know, depending on where Wales finished. So yeah, I was really, really impressed by him. It was such a it was such a night and day difference watching yeah. Wales first half to Wales second half. Yeah, that'll be a good test for Stones and Maguire yeah. later in the group yeah. stage. Yeah, 100%. Uh, as will the the USA game on on Friday night. Uh, let's move on to talk about Argentina, who uh, suffered the biggest shock of the tournament so far when they were beaten 2-1 by Saudi Arabia. Uh, Argentina leading the game through that Lionel Messi penalty. They had about six goals disallowed for offside, it felt like. <laughs> I thought, just time one of these right, and it's uh, it, you know it's going to be a cricket score, this one. And uh, then it all changed in the in the space of, what was it, eight minutes in the second half? Yeah. Um, crazy game. Why do you think, Danny, I mean, you've got a lot of... Uh, Argentinian friends, why do you think they, um, they they so often seem a bit overawed on these occasions? Is that fair? It is. I mean, it's a fair assumption. Remember 2002, uh, the coach by Bielsa, they had, you know, they had an amazing team 2002. They went out mm-hmm. crashing in the first round. Uh, here, I don't think that's going to be the case. But I just think it's those teams that have this tendency that once things seem to be going well, because even though all, all those goals were disallowed, like you just felt the team was clicking. So they just kind of like, you know, rest on their laurels a little bit. And just kind of went into the second half without the same motivation they had in the first half because they already said, okay, we got this. We're 1 0 up. Uh, we don't really have to, you know, go deep in this game against this rival. They seem relatively easy to, to tame. And, you know, all it took was two long balls and two great finishes for that matter that, mm. you know, basically destroyed uh, whatever they had planned. But having said that, something more specific must have been like a very poor Rodrigo de Paul. He had an awful game, I found. Uh, he just didn't seem to be up for anything. Um, I think also Gata, uh, Gata Tuku was also not really good for that. And uh, I don't know. I think they realized that there's going to be two or three changes there. Tagliafico is going to definitely not be starting next game. Uh, they're going to probably stick to Molina on the right because Foyt is definitely not up for the task quite yet. He showed it in the friendly before that. Uh, but I think Julian Alvarez could be a really good, interesting name to bring in for the next game. I think if you have him on one side, Lautaro down the middle, Messi behind that, and Di Maria on the, on the right flank, I think you have a really, really solid chance to, you know, give that team a bit more uh, flexibility and mobility because it did seem that they, they've they kind of like frozen place here and there or they were too squished together by by Saudi Arabia just coming closer to to basically, mm. you know, neutralize all the free space for Argentina that they just lacked that sort of, you know, last sprint kind of thing. Ironically, they, last, they lacked the space they did have in the first half that they just, you know, wasted five, six times because, you know, God bless the offside rule. So um, yeah. I don't know. Like I, I think they're going to be fine. They just have a lot of lessons to chew on from from this opener. Yeah. What What did you make of um, Saudi Arabia's game plan in this one, Matt? Because you know they were they were riding the luck with those those offsides that, that that high line. A lot of people were saying this is a suicide mission. What the hell are they doing? Uh, and then the second half, you know, it, it all turned out well for them. Was that a, was that a stroke of genius from Hervé Renardo? Was it uh, just a bit of luck? Ah, uh, 
a little bit of luck, I think. I'm not <laughs> downplaying it. It's obviously a fantastic result. But I think it's one of those where if you play that exact fixture 10 times, the the luck of the high line, the luck of Argentina not scoring doesn't happen every time. This is probably a one or a two in 10 result. Um, and it just so happened to come to fruition now. Obviously, you know, they, they ride their luck a little bit. But they did take their chances when they got them as well. Two brilliant goals. The second one was fantastic. Um, and yeah, it looked like maybe, I don't know, maybe... Do you, could be a bit of complacency from Argentina, thinking, oh, it's only Saudi Arabia. Um, England certainly didn't think it's only Iran. You know, <laughs> they, they went ahead and put six past them. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it, it, on paper, it makes sense, right? We'll, we'll won't have much possession. We'll try and hit them. We'll try and shock them. You know, we'll play a high line and catch them offside. The fact it actually worked is an, is an absolute miracle. But, hey, you know. Let's see yeah. them do it in the next game and see it work. And if it works three times, I'll I'll doff my cap to them. Yeah. So yeah, you think Argentina will still get through this group, Danny? I mean, they've got Mexico next, then Poland was a was a nil nil draw in that game for those two. Kind of the ideal result for Argentina after what happened. Do you think? Uh, yeah, I still think that they are you know head over shoulders above Mexico and 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 Poland. I wasn't particularly surprised, uh, or you know didn't see anything in Mexico particularly to you know convince me that they have. To, enough to go at least to the to the quarterfinals because they have this this fun fact they haven't gone after the last sixteen uh, since nineteen eighty six they've made it to all of these and always like crashed out last minute until last World Cup which they didn't go through to the next stage I think it was Sweden and Japan last and Korea last time around yeah um, so I don't know that they just seemed like kick and rush the Mexican team they had no real strategy the times they had the ball didn't really you know produce that much with it I found like I think. The expectations for Mexico are a lot, lot higher than they ought to be. I, it's, it's what I've always kind of felt about the Mexican team. There was like a, a tad too short from, from what they think they can achieve. Uh, and Poland, honestly, I mean, they have Zielinski, they have, they have, um, Lewandowski, they have a couple of good players there, but are they good enough to stop Argentina? I'm not sure. I think Arge- mm-hmm. they seemed a bit too focused on, on, you know, trying to connect three balls together and it didn't really, you know, click at the end, <laughs> didn't it? So I don't know. I think Argentina will will luck out this time. I think they're going to have a even if they play you know shoddy football, they should be fine. I think. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of Mexico, their goalkeeper Guillermo Ochoa making the uh, penalty save from yeah. from Lewandowski the other day. I saw a great tweet where someone said um, uh, Ochoa is to the World Cup what Mariah Carey is to Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Spot. <on. laughs> Very true. I like that. I like that. Oh, man. Uh, we've also seen France in action so far. Uh, they won 4-1 against Australia. They did uh, fall behind to Australia in that game. Were you thinking there was another upset of the cards for a moment there, Matt, with that game? Uh, weirdly enough, no. No disrespect to Australia. <laughs> I, think, I think they did really, you know, it was a really strong start and it was a fantastic goal to score. But I just think the quality that the French have got, it's like, you liken it to Man City in the Premier League where the strength and depth play such a key role yeah. from the bench in mm-hmm. games. I think France are so good and they have such a strong squad um, that they're, I don't know, it just seems like the threat is always there. And I, I know that it was the players on the pitch that did the business, but I just feel like they were always going to overpower Australia, regardless of whether they made subs or not. Um, and so, yeah, they, they just did in the end. Like I just, I just look at whoever, whoever's playing, it doesn't really make a difference for me to be honest with France, because they're just going to be so good. So even when they go a goal behind, I always think they're going to get back into it somehow, some way. They did a lot sooner than I thought, in all fairness. Yeah, same. I was going to say um, that. The uh, the equaliser came fairly quickly, didn't it? Yeah. Like, within about 20 minutes. And, but I oh. just think 
regardless of yeah, regardless of whether they need to make subs or they don't, they're just always going to be with a shot coming back mm. because they're just so good everywhere. And uh, yeah. yeah, Mbappe looks like he's feeling it as well. Yeah, Adrian Rabiot getting the equaliser. He's mm. turned into a pretty important player for France. So- pretty important player for Juventus as well. It's a bit of a, a a turnaround from, you know, even the summer. I remember when when Manchester United would be linked with him and people were sort of saying, what? Yeah. Why would they want him? He's not good enough. Yeah. And he's, uh, yeah. Now he's filling in for Pogba and, and Kante delightfully for France. Chouameni having a good game as well. And of course, Olivier Giroud getting a couple of goals after winning the World Cup uh, four years ago without scoring a goal. He's now got two in his first game. Do you think that... Uh, he can single-handedly kind of soften the blow, Danny, of the not having Benzema at this World Cup. Is he good enough to fill those shoes? I mean, usually you would say you're going to miss the the Ballon d'Or winner in your national team, but they have mm-hmm. Giroud, they have Mbappe, they have Colomani, they have Turam, four players that could easily play <laughs> as strikers. And they have a combined 50 goals and 25 assists throughout the season, those four players. They're fine. I think when, when Deschamps said, we're not going to call up another striker because... Quite honestly, why would you? Like, you have enough depth there, I think. <laughs> what a flex. <laughs> what a flex. Yeah, that's, we're fine. Just, you know, Ballon d'Or, nah, who's that? But, uh, yeah, I think you you normally mean something like I was saying, but I think with Giroud over there, who's already equaled the, what is it, the most goals with the French national team ever, with, with Thierry Henry. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's not a bad player, Giroud, either. Like, he's having a really good season at Milan. Mm. And I don't know. It's, it's like that saying, like, the depth in the team is just astonishing. Like, they've lost... In Kunku, they've lost Pogba, they've lost Kante, they've lost Benzema, and the team is still amazing. Like it's ridiculous what, yeah. what they have in, in their arsenal. Basically, it's, it's brilliant. Even Luca Hernandez going off, like you know, sad for him as well. And you bring in the brother. Like imagine that shit. Like put his brother on and played even better. Exactly. Taking the piss. It is taking the piss, kind of. But I don't know. To me, they're. I would say arguably, but we have to see Brazil today. But I'd say they're by far the strongest candidate so far. Mm, yeah, yeah, they are, they are one of them for sure. Yeah, uh, one of them who who aren't a particularly strong candidate on on the uh, the evidence of their first game was Germany, who, yeah. uh, who were beaten two one uh, by J- Japan. Uh, kind of almost similar story to Argentina. Yeah. They went one 0 up. Everything was going well. Um, it all turned around quite quickly in the second half. Was this such a big shock for you though, Matt? Um, I mean, you were you were pro- you were hanging around with some Japanese mm. people, so. Uh, perhaps you you got into the spirit of uh, thinking Japanese that Jap- the Japanese might do something here. Uh, yeah, the, the, again, I actually found it very similar to Wales in the USA game, where the second half was so much better um, because they made more happen. Basically, especially going yeah. forward, I thought they were it was really really good performance from Japan. Um, they never looked like they sort of panicked or felt inferior. I guess. Like, oh, we've gone 1-0 down to a big World Cup favourite. You know, it wasn't, it didn't feel like that much like with Saudi Arabia and I thought they were really, really clinical. They had plenty of chances. Neuer kept the uh, Germany in it yeah. before yeah. the uh, before the equaliser from, was it Doan? Ritsu Doan. Yeah. Um, and I, it really felt like it was coming. I was actually doing like a kind of vlog on the game and I, I, I watched it back and after the Neuer one, I said, He's keeping them in it. This is coming. This is coming for Japan. <laughs> and a few minutes later, the equaliser. And that, that's what I mean about that um, that belief of not being like, oh, we've gone 1-0 down to a big team. They didn't even feel that when they were drawing. It wasn't <laughs> yeah. like, oh, you know, we've done well to draw. We've done well to equalise against a big side. It was like, no, we no, can they go and win it, this. Yeah. yeah, they really went for it. That goal, that the first touch was so good that Schlotterbeck was like, oh, I didn't even mm. think you were going to pull that off. And, you know, from then he was behind and such a good finish. And I, I thought it was such a well-deserved goal. And it looked, it, it's so weird to see a team pick up, pick up where they left off four years ago. 
Yeah. yeah. Like, that's such a bizarre coincidence that they just continue, you know, their form when they got knocked out in 2018. Well, an even more bizarre coincidence is that, uh, did you see this stat that uh, Japan had 26.2% possession in this game? It's the second lowest uh, possession st- uh, number for a, a winning team in a World Cup game. The lowest one is South Korea four years ago. They had 26% possession. Against Germany? So, ju- so Germany, Germany had been done twice yeah. by a team oh, with 26% word. possession. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a, bad, that's a bad number for them, obviously. Yeah. yeah. What is the uh, what is the post mortem among uh, Germany fans from this game? Would you say, Danny, is there a bit of panic setting in, or is it uh, a bit of philosophy at this point? There's a lot of catharsis going on for sure. Um, you kind of understand <laughs> it too. Like you can see the substitutions Germany made and the approach in the second half was. I mean, you put it great. It was just like Argentina, like very much resting back a little bit, not much, not so much intensity, not so much pressure. They felt they did a really good first half, which arguably you could say they did. Uh, in spite of the fact that the goal came from a penalty kick, they had a goal disallowed. Um, they were combining quite well. They just were very wasteful, I find. And I think that is sort of like the big conclusion that it feels weird to not have sort of like a good reference in attack, like a good referential player, like a, a pivot point. Like there's no more closes, so there's no more real striker there anymore. And it's been kind of hard to fill. Havertz is definitely not the sort of player that you would have in that position. I also felt that Japan did really well at squeezing Germany tight. So players like Müller, Musiala, Gnabry that actually need a bit of space to do what they do best. Uh, they were basically, you know, zoned out. They really couldn't exploit that. And then, you know, Japan with two, three subs just transformed the game the next half. That's sort of like the takeaway. And I mean, Schlotterbeck being way, way, way too permissive in that second goal. Like he didn't even try to grab all the guy or anything or like, you know, hold him back a bit. It's, I don't know. There's a lot of lessons there. I do think that Zul is definitely not going to start playing as a right back next game either. That was kind of like a shocker for everybody as well. But uh, I don't know. There's going to be a lot of changes, I believe. And maybe Germany will feel this pressure a bit more than they did last time around. They did squeeze that 2-1 out of Sweden last World Cup. And they do have this tendency of, of you know, messing up a game in the group stage. They lost to Serbia at one point. They did lose to Ghana at another point. Uh, there's kind of like a, a, a back history to the group phase mm-hmm. not being the best for Germany. But I think they should have been considerably better than, than they were in the second yeah. half. Maybe getting Leroy Sané back and putting Muziel yeah, in the middle. Yeah, that would definitely be, help, uh, yeah. Something that would help as well, yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned that uh, France are uh, perhaps the most impressive team you've seen so far, Danny. I thought Spain gave them a run for their money. All right, it was only Costa Rica, but a very, very good performance. 7-0 victory for Spain there. I, I thought they looked pretty good. Uh, what was it, over 100 passes they made in this game or something? Over 1,000 uh, passes. 1,000 passes, yeah, sorry. 1,000, yeah. yeah. 100 would have been nothing, wouldn't <laughs> yeah. Costa Rica doubled that, uh, bro. Um, yeah. No, like my thing was, and I read this stat. Well, Noel tweeted this, which I found really interesting. Spain had five players from the 2014 generation. Costa Rica, no, sorry, 2018. Costa Rica had six players from 2014. And you could tell it was like a sluggish team. They didn't even have a, a shot on target or a shot in total, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. They were, they're just here for the sake of competing, I think, not trying or anything. It's just, yeah. I don't Get know. Paolo one chop out of retirement. That's what <laughs> I mean, at this point, you might as well, man. Like, I don't know. The thing is, I find, like you were asking earlier, if it was just Iran for England, I think it was just Costa Rica on this one. I think it's just a blend of Spain being good. Not It's undeniable that Pedri had a really good game. Gabi, fantastic second half. Um, But it's, I think, with Qatar, the weakest team in the the tournament so far. And um, I'm really keen on that Germany-Spain game. I think it's going to be very, very different than what people are expecting it to be, a blowout or, you know, Germany panicking. I think it's going to be quite, you know, a very even contest that's, a 3-2 kind of match they're actually going to 
enjoy uh, at one point. Yeah, should be a, should be a crack of that. Yeah, 100%, yeah, yeah. Pedro and Gavi uh, both being trusted. I saw a few raised eyebrows at the team sheet before um, before the game, but it worked out all right for Luis Enrique in the end. Were you particularly impressed with those two, Matt? Two teams. Yeah, yeah for sure. They're, they're unbelievable footballers. Um, I thought they really, really dominated the game. Maybe who knows if it was against, like Danny said, a slightly stronger opposition. We might not have seen both of them. Um, but I think that plus the Rodri at centre-back role was yes. a clear indication that Luis Enrique was like, right, we're going to have the ball. We can pass it. We can find Pedri and Gavi. Um, we can utilise their skills. We can utilise Rodri's calmness at the back. May have been kind of crowbarring in Rodri and Busquets. Might have been a little bit of that going on as well, mm. um, instead of making the decision to pick one or the other. Uh, but yeah, it certainly... It echoed the fact that Luis Enrique knew what he was doing and he knew that Pedri and Gavi could have the biggest impact in this game. Um, whether it would be a little bit different for the Germany game, whether he thinks they can get on the ball as much against that German midfield, who knows? I, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure. We'll have to obviously wait and see. Um, but for this game, it was clear that Enrique knew what he was doing. Yeah, Alex was saying that Luis Enrique said on one of his streams that he had uh, six eggs for dinner the other night. Uh, <laughs> Apparently three fried and three boiled. So hey. I wouldn't want to be sharing a room with him, to be honest. But, uh... <laughs> what a bizarre man. I was he got like yeah. a Twitch channel or something. Like, yeah, yeah, he started streaming just, for the World yeah. Cup. He started that. Honestly, uh... when, a, when a World Cup manager becomes a YouTuber, then we know game's gone. <laughs> At least Aguero waited till the pandemic to start streaming. This guy is doing it while on the job. Like, it's proper multitasking there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. I quite like it actually, but uh, yeah, I don't think it's for everyone, is it? I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine Gareth Southgate pulling it off necessarily. I think Hansi Flick uh, doing that shit. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sternest disciplined coach in fucking world right now. Just you know, hello, guys. Welcome. To I mean, this, if uh, we channel. can get Mourinho to do a, tri- a Twitch stream at some point, yeah. then it's all been worthwhile, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, it, it's a logical step for him, isn't it? Like that, I would like to see at one point. I feel like Mourinho would excel at like clickbaity thumbnails. Yes. Like him doing something yeah. mad and you'd be like, yeah, you know what? Jose did punch two referees and storm out the stadium. I'm clicking this video. Yeah, punch the ref challenge or something like that. Yeah. I did this at a football game. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that would be Jose's channel. <laughs> I'd love to watch Jose um, doing a Twitch stream of him playing football manager. That would be incredible. Ooh, yeah. that would be amazing, actually. <laughs> this is content ideas. Nobody steal them. I'll bring them to Jose. <laughs> I love it I love it <laughs> and the uh, the final game we're going to talk about today was uh, Belgium 1 Canada 0 uh, I thought Canada were quite good here actually a little bit unlucky to lose uh, obviously missing that penalty Alfonso Davies early on do you think there was plenty of encouragement for them there Matt? Uh, yeah I would guess so there was certainly didn't feel like uh, you know, they were relative newbies on the international mm. scene um, in, in terms of recent World Cups. My heart broke for Davis, though. Yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, gutting. Just that was so really, like, you know, he's such a, seems like such a, a lovely guy um, and such a key part of this team. And I, I, I was really impressed with Canada, to be honest. I think mm. they've got good chances in, in the rest of the tournament. Um, and it was a Belgian side that I wouldn't say there for the taking, but they were there, you know, to, to concede a goal maybe and to get a point off. Um, I don't know, maybe Danny's probably in a better position to kind of sum up Canada. But I really, I, I felt for them. I felt a lot for them after all the hype um, to, to miss a penalty and not get anything from the game. I think Canada, of all the, the, the smaller teams, let's call it that, which is not necessarily the nicest way to put it, but I think they've been by far the best. 
Like, they're fun to watch. They were up attacking Belgium the whole game. Like, mm. you could tell they were trying their best, and it wasn't a bad try either. It was just not – it wasn't just good enough in, in definition, I find. But, you know, they also have really like, – it's a decent squad. Like, it's not, you know, filled with names, but as a team, they do work quite well. The coach came from being really successful with the feminine – with the, the, the women's team, sorry. Um, uh, and uh, he – And he's from Newcastle. And he's from Newcastle. Imagine yeah. that. Yeah. Huh. There you go. So, uh, yeah, and um, apparently what he was telling the, the team after the game that he kind of like rallied them together, he was like, forget about tonight. Fuck Croatia. We're going for this. And they were just basically, <laughs> that's a pep talk. You know, you want your coach telling you to screw the next guy because, uh, I don't know, I think they do have that motivation and you can understand why they were first in, in the CONCACAF qualifier in the end. Like, they do have a certain something that Mexico definitely don't have. The U.S. are kind of developing and are still not quite there. Um, they're just... Way too new at this, I think. They don't quite understand the, the the expectations, how to handle the pressure. And I think Davis's penalty was kind of like proof of, you know, the stage being a bigger echelon than what you're usually used to. Yeah. And uh, Belgium, not too impressive, really, Matt, I didn't think. Uh, Batshuayi took the goal well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's so much talent there, but just not seeing an awful lot of it. Even Kevin De Bruyne couldn't believe that he won man of the match. I mean, <laughs> Kevin, I love the man, but... I think for a world class player, he's one that he's probably the the only world class player I can think of who has so many stinking games that it's like maybe I just maybe I just pay close attention to him than most world class players. But sometimes he plays like he's got his shoes on the wrong feet, and then the next game he'll be unreal and like score six goals or something. But it's just like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. But Belgium for me, it seemed like they. You know, Belgium persist with this golden generation. I remember doing previews for the 2018 World Cup, thinking. This is it. It's all or nothing. Golden generation. Yeah. A few years later, we get to the Euros and I'm like, okay, no, but this really is it for the golden <laughs> generation. Now we're here. We're still talking. Is this it for the golden generation? Yeah, like, yeah. How, I, I love them both, right? Spurs legends. But how are the Verald of Tongan are both in the back line, mm. right? I, Jesus, I don't yeah. quite understand. Hazard's constantly injured and then suddenly is relied upon for Belgium. Um, it, it was so kind of Vitzel still in there. I mean, yeah, he's not actually that old. I think it's only only thirty. No, but, but he's even so. Yeah, he's struggling awful at Atletico right now. But Chwayi is another yeah. name that you don't really. But, yeah, you know, but Chwayi. Like I just, it was odd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think they need Lukaku at this World Cup to to yeah. have any chance of really doing something, don't yeah. they? His fitness is uh, is very much up in the air. Well, I felt a bit bad about dragging you both away from Uruguay v South Korea to record this podcast today, but we've missed a, a nil-nil draw, uh, I'm afraid to say. Another. There's been, there's been four at the tournament so far. That's uh, that's more than the last two World Cups combined. Do you Damn. think there's any particular reason for that, or is it just a bit of a coincidence? Is it a, a, a scheduling issue, a, a, a I mean, an issue with the climate in, in Qatar? Or? The conspiranoid in me is just saying, oh, it's because it's between, it's it's in the middle, that's smack in the middle of the season. So everyone's <laughs> yeah, tired and no one can give a shit. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe it's coincidence. Maybe it's just the fact that, I mean, Croatia should have won that, shouldn't have. I mean, I don't know. I don't know, man. They should have done, but I, I, I can't recall them creating a single real chance in yeah. that game, really. It was one of the worst football matches I think I've ever watched, that one, actually. Yeah, I had to write a Man of the Match report about that game, and I had no <laughs> idea who I was going to give it to. I just gave it to Modric because I enjoyed watching him. You should give it to yourself for sitting for that, mate. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I almost gave it to the 12th man in the crowd. Like, it was a... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That would have been so funny to be like, the man of the match is me for seeing Me, it. okay? I pulled yeah. all the way to here. I did not fall asleep <laughs> once. And, uh... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> funny. Lovely stuff. Yeah. 
Well, let's hope we don't see too many nil, more nil-nil draws in this World Cup, but there's definitely one coming our way yeah. between England and the USA on Friday. That is <laughs> that is nailed on now. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's all we've got time for for today. Thanks to Matt and Danny for joining me, and thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, remember, if you want to get in touch with us, the email address is podcast at onefootball.com. Uh, I think we're going to do a podcast again on Tuesday, depending on availability. It's been quite hard to fit podcasts into this World Cup with the uh, hectic schedule with uh, so many games coming thick and fast, but on Tuesday it will slow down a little bit once we uh, start to get towards the end of the group stage so hope you'll join us again then and uh, see you then